welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. Hello. Um, wherever you went, Jane, I actually think she left on a silent retreat. <laughs> Literally just left. But um, yeah. Really thankful. I was saying in the run through this morning that I was a little salty that I wasn't going to get the Witham Weekend Update introduction. So Jane very kindly did that. And we had honestly a really good time. I always feel like that much time with a person is like, this is not going to be good. Like, I, I love Jane, but. <laughs> Uh, and honestly, I did not even get annoyed once. It was really fun. We had a great time together. Um, really happy to be teaching. We, guys, it's sabbatical and we're making it just fine. <laughs> um, you may or may not know I'm staying at the Witham household. Uh, they don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um, I'm dog sitting for River, their dog, and it has been so much fun. I have River and then I have my dog, Arrow. We're just a little pack together. Uh, River ate a sock this week, so that was eventful, but otherwise things are great. She's doing fine, um, but it, it's been really good. Summer has been great. It's been such a gift to have um, just so many outside voices um, coming, and, and I hope you're experiencing that as a really positive thing. Um, I feel like it provides this fuller picture of church and the kingdom, and um, that's been a real gift for me. Plus, it's like a great way to do some church shopping easy. You know, just like getting a vibe of what else is out there. Um, luckily, you know, I get to teach too and make a case for Awaken. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but it, it's been a good summer. Good ministries happened. Um, and despite all of the good things, there has been a sense, and I don't know if this has been true for you or if this is just like me and my vantage point, but... There have been some really heavy things this summer, and it's uh, between the things that have been happening in the world and what feels like every day, uh, something happening that deserves compassion and response to, um, people in the life of this community holding really heavy things, people outside of this community holding really heavy things. Uh, I, I don't know, there, I've, I've just sensed that. Um, so I was chatting with John Mark earlier this week, and I was like, I feel like we just need something light, something good, something fun. <laughs> Apparently I'm describing my sermon. And um, I, so I picked my passage. I was really excited about it. I uh, am teaching a passage this morning I've always been really drawn to and captivated by, but kind of forget it's there. But it felt like it was the right, right fit. And very quickly, I realized I just don't think I do light. <laughs> I just don't. So for better or for worse, we're going and, <laughs> and we're going to do this. Um, no, but I'm, I'm really excited. The book of Ezekiel is so beautiful and it, uh, it's a little weird. Like there's some really rich and, um, I don't know, weird language and imagery. And so uh, we're in that this morning. We're in Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of the Dry Bones. Um, so I wanted to start a little bit different. Uh, every once in a while, I feel like we just come across a passage that, like I said, is so rich in imagery that I feel like 
uh, it would make sense for maybe the passage to lead. Uh, and so I just want to do it a little bit different. So we'll take a moment of pause, uh, a little bit of silence. There's a question that I'd love for us to reflect on. And then what we'll do, I'll actually just right out of that, start reading the passage. Um, and I don't know, invite you to, to maybe trust that the Spirit is at work in us and among us. And um, I don't know, let your imaginations go as you hear the words of Scripture. So with that, maybe take a few deep breaths and close your eyes. Take a moment to settle in. Maybe become aware of the heat and let it slow you down a bit. And this question, um, to take a few moments to reflect on. What are the areas, either in your life individually, in the lives of people in your community, or maybe what you're seeing in the world? What are the areas that seem to be lifeless or dead, dry or tired, that need refreshing? Maybe just take a moment to let the Spirit recall that for you. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of this valley, bones that were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. And so therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. 
I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you into your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Abba, here we are and here you are. You know what we hold in this moment and the things that we bring into this room. And so God, I I ask in maybe the way that only you can do, that you would meet us there and that you would bring refreshment to the places that are tired and lifeless in us. God, I pray that you would come underneath my words and that you would say what it is that you want to say to your people. In the strong name of Christ, we pray. Amen. What a vision. Um, I wanted to start maybe with just acknowledging that sometimes when you take the time to name the dead and dry places, um, it can sometimes be hard to hear hope. Brings you to a really vulnerable place when you get used to being in the valley of dry bones. So I wanted to name that uh, as we move forward this morning, but also say that maybe those are the words that are needed. So we're in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a book of the prophets. The prophets are kind of the, the last section of our Old Testament. And in these books, all the prophets are really um, articulating and, and I guess the context that they're speaking to is the historical event of exile for the Israelites. Uh, so the book of Ezekiel is written actually over a 20-year span uh, surrounding the events of the Babylonian exile. So that was the second time is the Israelites were exiled. The first time is the Assyrian exile a couple hundred years earlier. And so this, this is kind of the context in which these words are coming from. And all the books of the prophets hold a lot of things, a lot of narrative, um, but mostly they're seen as divine words delivered by human agency and conceptually contain a lot of things, warning and judgment and hope and restoration. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel is called the watchman, which I feel like is a really unfortunate nickname. Uh, Yeah. Um, But here he is. The first half of the book is all of the warnings to the people that the ways that you are living in the world are actually not reflective of who you were called to be and who God is. Because the people of Israel were meant to embody the justice and the goodness and the faithfulness and the flourishing that God brings to the world and to creation. And instead, they lived in a different way. So Ezekiel, in, I think it was 34, he even begins to address the leaders and using the sheep and shepherd imagery. So in verse 3, he says, You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the choice animals, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. But with force and harshness, you have ruled over them. And that word there used for harshness is actually the same word that's used in the Exodus story, describing the labor and the experience that the Israelites have of the Egyptians. Where are the people where their leadership are being likened to their former oppressors? 
And so Ezekiel is here and he's warning the people and saying, turn. This is not, meant who you, this is not who you were meant to be. Turn. And yet they continue in their missteps, forgetting that they in fact are responsible to the widow and to the orphan of the foreign and the foreigner. And that's actually the measure that God uses for their faithfulness. And it seems like they have forgotten. And it brings them to their exile. And so for the Israelites, being in exile, they are now a conquered people. And for them, that is the equivalent of death. There is this sense of permanence after those things have been taken from you because that was part of God's promise to be faithful to them. I will give you a land. I will give you a name. And now that's gone. And so the Israelites' experience of, of this is really a, a betrayal of God. That's how they experience their exile. And it feels like it's a death of the people, a death of their future. And there's this permanent sense in which we can never return to life. I mean, you heard it in the passage. Our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we have been cut off. And so we find ourselves in Ezekiel 37 in this text, after all of these warnings to avoid this kind of death and to be the people of God in the world, and yet the people have found themselves in the valley of dry bones. And so for me, in my cerebral approach, to most things, uh, I come to this passage, and my first question is, well, what's the Valley of the Dry Bones? Uh, and scholars take, uh, I guess, a lot of different approaches to this, uh, historical and geographical approaches, trying to identify the location, and yet I just don't find that to be very helpful. It's interesting, but the valley isn't named. There are lots of valleys in the land. I feel like the invitation not only for the readers, but for the original audience, is really what is the spiritual significance of the Valley of Dry Bones? And maybe, just to be really blunt, the Valley of Dry Bones are a symbol of death. Maybe said differently, the most permanent ending one can experience. And if we remember what it is in the narrative and where we are contextually, that the thing that brought them to this death uh, to this exile, it's kind of synonymous for it, is the ways that they were living uh, in ways that they were not called to be or meant to be. They acquiesced and they assimilated into the surrounding culture to maintain their power at whatever cost. And it's brought them to this place of death. And so for the reader, for the audience, it feels like when you get to the Valley of Dry Bones, it's over. It's done. You've made your bed. But God, God sends a prophet to these dry bones. The text says that the Lord carried Ezekiel and set him down in this valley. And the word for set down is nuach. And literally, it means, or maybe the range of meaning of the word, it literally is to rest, to settle down, to make quiet. And in this particular usage, it's in the causative sense. So sometimes it's helpful to get that nuance. And so literally the sentence is, the Lord carried Ezekiel and caused him to rest in the valley of dry bones. Caused him to settle down in the valley of dry bones. And 
And I don't know about you, but that sounds awful to me. That sounds like something I want to avoid at all costs. I don't want to rest in the valley of dry bones. And yet, in our narrative, it seems like this place of dry bones is the beginning of the recreation. That life is available to speak to these dead places. And that that is the work that God is doing in the people. So it begs this question for me, what would it mean for me, for us, to settle down into the places of death that we are brought to? When I was in my 20s, I had a very brief stint uh, working with at-risk youth. Um, was not my ministry. I will tell you that much. I was not very good at it. Um, and yet, it felt like an important thing for me to be participating in at the time. And I remember sitting in the room and hearing these kids, because they're kids, articulating the experiences that they've had to live and talking about things that they have to hold that no child should ever be meant to hold. And I remember being in that room and all I wanted to do was leave. I did not want to be there. And that's kind of, like, I'm usually okay with, you know, hard things and I can be there. But for whatever reason, this just hit me different and I wanted to leave. But I felt really called to be there. I felt like I needed to be there. And so I tried my best to be like Ezekiel and to settle down and to walk back and forth among these dry bones and to listen. And so what would it mean for us to settle into these places? God asked this, what I feel like is a silly question for God to ask. He says, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responds very wisely to this yes or no question. And I kind of picture it as like, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel being like, ah, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Uh, <laughs> just like backstepping. <laughs> and yet, isn't it just like God to ask a question like that? Because when you maybe settle in, what I hear in the question is, oh, Ezekiel, You've been walking among these dry bones. You've been examining them. You see them. You know them. These are your people. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel's response to that question really matters. It's almost like the question underneath it is Ezekiel, do you hope for these dry bones? Do you hope that these dead places might come to life again? Do you hope for the future of your people? And Ezekiel's answer to that question and the role that he's in really matters. I think he says yes, because he stays and he keeps doing the work. His, 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 an, his answer to that question really matters. The second thing I want to pull on from this passage uh, is prophecy. Uh, Ezekiel, 
uh, is called to walk among these bones, to observe and examine, and also to interact over and over again, not only in this passage, but all throughout the rest of the book. He's called prophesy, son of man, prophesied to the bones and prophesied to the wind. And maybe it would be helpful to take a step back, because if you grew up in a background like me, to hear the words prophecy and prophesy come with all sorts of assumptions. I've had the gift of having a lot of good experiences when prophecy was in the room, uh, which I'm really thankful for, so know that I at least come to it a little bit like that. But I've also had really weird experiences. Anyone else? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Uh, And sometimes scary, and others have had damaging. Um, Like Jane mentioned, we were in Chicago uh, for Enneagram Enneagram training, which I'm now trained in, certified. Um, And it, it was actually really fun. I think usually when I go to conferences and trainings, I, like my introvert takes over, and I'm like, I cannot have one more conversation. This was the first time I sat in a room and I was like, oh, I want to know these people. (laughs) So it was great. It was really fun. But anyways, needed to take a little break for lunch, so Jane and I decided to go to Barnes & Noble. Um, So I go into Barnes & Noble. There are two sections I care about, art and theology. The rest of them don't matter. And so I went to the theology section and kind of perused, and um, a certain title caught my eye. Uh, it was called the Trump Prophecies, to which I immediately picked it up. <laughs> uh, and, and it was so, I started reading it and kind of getting a flavor for what it is, and it's basically this man, uh, 10 years ago, had received a divine oracle from God saying that uh, Trump was going to be the ordained and appointed prophet for God's nation, America. And I, <laughs> I was really trying to be open and like hear and whatever, but I just like, regardless of your politics, friends, just a friendly reminder that that book, when a prophet is called, they talk about two things. One, idolatry. Two, welcoming the stranger and the foreigner, okay? Feels like the wires are getting crossed a little. Also, America is not God's people. Just saying. So... You know, I'm reading this, and, I, and that is where I can't help when I come across prophecy to think about that narrative as well. And some of my rub comes from like, no, like that, that's actually an abuse of power. Because if you disagree with that, then you're disagreeing with God. You don't want to be on God's bad side. But, it, so it just like, I feel like it's helpful in this context to at least name some of that Um, as we move forward and talking a little bit more about it. As a side note, I was having a really moral dilemma in that moment of like, what do I do with this book? I felt like I couldn't steal it. (laughs) I definitely was not going to buy it. So I hid it. (laughs) And let's just hope that the employees at Barnes & Noble suck and that, that never gets into circulation. $12.95 is not going into those pockets. You're welcome. <laughs> Did my good deed for the day. Um, but anyways, Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel is the one who actually embodies prophecy. 
and who embodies what it means to be a prophet. The Hebrew word for prophet is navi, and literally it just means spokesperson or one who speaks. Uh, another interpretation is it's one who brings. And really, it's said that the prophets are the ones who are speaking by divine power, or said differently, they are speaking from a place of power that does not belong to them. That's a really humble way to hold your speech. But that prophecy, the, the aim and the goal of prophecy in these words from God is really for the purpose of healing and restoration. Like that's always the aim, even if it, if it comes out in harsh ways, like the heart of that is always for healing and restoration. And so Ezekiel is, is given these words, he's speaking life to places of death, which is a beautiful thing. He's literally speaking to dead, inanimate bones, and he's speaking to them as if they are living audience. He is embodying, through the words of God, the divine hope in the world that things don't end in death. In God's economy, where there is death, there is hope, because we don't end in death. And that's not to say that the reality of death, that we don't experience the grief and the anguish and the loss and all of the things that come with it that don't feel very hopeful, that's not to say that there's not a natural end to things, but it is to say that restoration will come. And it might take a long time, and it might come in a different way than you expected, but it will come. Ezekiel is given this language that's so stunning to me, the tendons and the flesh and the skin and the breath. And in this picture that he's given, it's actually a description of the opposite of the decomposition process, which to me seems like that implies that, that this place of death, oh, that's your place of recreation. That's your new beginning. And so here Ezekiel is speaking these words, and all of this language is hearkening back to the Genesis stories, the creation stories, the first time the word flesh is used is in Genesis 2 when Adam looks at Eve and says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And the first time the word skin is used is in Genesis 3 in this tender and compassionate moment that after humans have sinned and tried to cover themselves in their shame, in Genesis 3, God reclothes them in skins and sets them on their way to do good work in the world still to receive that original blessing that they were made for. And so Ezekiel speaks to this death, the hope of a new beginning and of recreation. And so for me, it begs this question, when I, when we, speak to the places of death and injustice in the world, do I have that vision in my mind? Am I speaking in such a way that I am leaning up against the power of God and letting God's words come through? Am I speaking in such a way where tendons and flesh and skin and breath are possible? 
Am I speaking in such a way where recreation is in my mind and what I hope for? Or does anger drive, maybe even hate? And if I were to be honest, sometimes that's what drives. So it's been begging this question for me. And, and to be clear, like, anger is not all bad. There is a place for anger. There really is. Half of Ezekiel's ministry, he's walking around pissed off. <laughs> he really is. And you don't think that if you spend 20 years of your life telling people you are headed down a wrong path, you are walking to your death, and when he gets this vision of dry bones, that, he, that at least the possibility of being like, screw these guys. Like, I told you. I told you this wasn't going to be good. You don't think that that was at least in the realm of possibility of response? Anger is a very powerful thing. It gets a lot of stuff done. It's very motivating. And yet, if there is not love, if there is not vision for recreation, what does it produce? I'm afraid that I've experienced this. I've gotten this feedback from people that I disagree with. You seem really angry, Jenna, and they don't want to come along. Maybe they would agree with something I said, but I was too angry to help them hear. Did I have love in my heart for that person? Did I care about them? Did I hope for their recreation as well? Because the thing is, when we lean into and when we speak and when we use our prophetic voices as the people of God, when we allow God's divine vision for the world, for all people in this world, enemies included, if that is guiding what and how we speak to the dead things in the world, it is for the purpose of recreation. We are setting ourselves up well. And in the midst of this prophecy, God promises that he will breathe breath back into the people. The Hebrew word used here for breath is ruach, and it's a very important word in the Hebrew. It's the same word used for spirit, both God's spirit and human spirit, breath and wind, and it's used 10 times in these 14 verses. The first time it's used is in Genesis 1, where the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, is hovering over the darkness and the chaos. And then it's used again in Genesis 2, when Adam's formed body doesn't have life in it. And it says that God breathed the breath of life into Adam, and he became a nephesh, a living being, a living soul. And all throughout the scriptures, when the Spirit shows up, it moves things, it drives things, it creates things, and it animates things. This whole thing is ignited with the Spirit. It's the sign and the mark of life. And the text is so interesting here, because if you remember, it begins with the promise of breath. Like, that's what's going to come after the body's formed. But for whatever reason, it doesn't. And so God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the Ruach, prophesy to the spirit, wind, breath, whichever one. <laughs> and he says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these corpses so that they may live. 
that four winds, what, what that's hearkening to it is direction, north, south, and east, and west. And could you imagine what that must feel like to be there and to have wind come at you from every single direction? Could you imagine the force and the power that must be felt in that? And, and these dead bones become animated. They're alive. These resurrected bones have received the breath of life, and it says that they lived and they stood up a vast army. That translation there, vast army, is a fine translation, but the Hebrew is literally gadol hayil. And gadol just means great or big or vast, and hayil means strength or valor. And so it's this picture of, of these dry bones that have been formed into something that's living, and then this breath enters them, and they stand up on their feet, a great strength. And you think about that just in the context that they're in, like what it means to be revived. But it's the spirit that makes it go. It's the spirit that moves it. The Spirit brings refreshment and life and revival to that which was dead and tired. And I don't know if you have been in a valley of dry bones before. Maybe you're there. And sometimes it can be hard, like I said, to hear a person talk about the promise that God will restore and revive when you're dry and maybe all you see is the dry bones. Or maybe you have had one too many conversations about why your life matters. And the response that maybe wasn't helpful and that brought more discouragement was, my life matters too, but you just needed to be heard and acknowledged. Or maybe you're like the song this morning, where you are feeling like your labor is in vain. It's not producing what you thought it would what you've been trying so hard to make happen. Or maybe a dream you've been holding for a long time has died, and, and maybe it had to die. But maybe today the Spirit is saying, it's time to come to life again. This work of recreation does not happen without the Spirit of God as the source for our lives. We will burn out, we will grow weary, so this morning, I'd like to invite us, maybe as best as you can, to receive from that animating and reviving spirit this morning. To let it blow over you as it comes from all four directions. To let it raise you to your feet. I'd like to invite the band up as we enter into a time of response. Um, we'll take just a brief moment of silence to let all this settle in. Uh, and then there will be some time of song. Our prayer space will be available. Um, and really, permission to posture yourself in the way you need to receive. So whether that's standing or sitting or kneeling, um, permission to do what feels right. So, will you pray with me? God, thank you that you are a God that brings hope and restoration to places 
that are dead, regardless of what brings us there. So God, I, I pray that you would be the one to give us that vision of life, to maybe if we can't hope this morning that, that you would do that for and with us. God, speak into those tender places. In your name we pray, amen. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.